0: Dr. James Andrews is in the news and we never want to hear that. But we do want to hear about DVR's rankings and his labor auction. Like duff and taxes. Dodger's been a Dodger. (laughs) I have not had the three go-throughs
1: yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on the athletic.
0: Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Wednesday, March 4th. I'm Al Melker, and I'm here with the triumphantly returning Derek Van Ryper. Uh, so DVR back from Florida, back from his uh, labor auction. We will certainly dig into that uh, in as much detail as we can do in uh, you know, the, the time we have here on the 15-minute show. So let's get right to a couple of big news stories. Chris Sale underwent an MRI for his sore elbow on Monday And those results are being reviewed by Dr. James Andrews. So um, DVR, uh, I think people were probably, tell me if you think this is a wrong assumption. I think that people were already building in a little bit of a discount on Chris Sale. He's currently going ninth on average among pitchers in Fantasy Pros ADP and 11th in NFBC ADP. Uh, Do you think that he will and should get further discounted?
1: Yeah, let's just say that we get the result of the MRI, and it's something that reveals no structural damage, and we're talking about a little bit of rest or a cortisone shot or something relatively minor. There's still going to be a further discount on Chris Sale. There, there has to be. I mean, I, I think even in the event of good news following this MRI, he falls probably to the back of the top fifteen among starters at, at a minimum. And if you were drafting without knowing the result of that MRI, you might say, I'm not taking a chance until double-digit rounds because you're just Mm -hmm. paranoid that it's something significant. It absolutely could be. So this is a really tough situation. I've got him in a few of my early drafts already. I thought opening day was only going to be missed because of pneumonia, not for any sort of structural elbow problem. Uh, but now we just kind of have to hold our collective breath if, if you already have Chris Sale on your roster or if you're a fan of the Red Sox.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, mentioning that, uh, you know, pneumonia and flu delay to his season, which ruled out opening day for him, that still you know put him on track to make a start probably within the first week. Well, that's pretty much certainly out of the picture. At this point. So even without knowing the MRI results, he probably needs to get some sort of discount just because at the start of his season is going to be delayed, uh, not to mention the other question marks that come with that. So I think there are a couple of impacts, probably not really big ones, but one has to do with who would replace Chris Sale. In the Red Sox rotation, there's already been discussion about them going with at least one opener. Maybe now it's two openers. They really only have three starters at this point. They may go with somebody Who's already in the organization, possibly Ryan Weber, Hector Velasquez, maybe uh, prospect Tanner Houck. Uh, But they're also looking at free agents like um, Andrew Kashner, for example. Um, Colin McHugh is a name that I've seen mentioned in at least one report. So is there anybody on the radar here that really piques your interest?
1: I like the free agent options more than the internal options. And as I look at the Options in the bullpen. I don't really see any relief arms that they could stretch out kind of last minute and, and even just kind of have available uh, a few weeks into the season. It's probably Hector Velasquez first just to keep things afloat. But as you said, the opener could be a factor here. This is a team that was in trouble with Chris Sale being healthy in the back of the rotation because he'd go Sale, Eduardo Rodriguez. Nathan Ivaldi, and then you're starting to rely on Martin Perez, and then this group of guys we're talking about right now. So uh, this would be a potentially devastating blow for Boston. I mean, even without Mookie Betts, if everybody were healthy, I think they'd have a shot at maybe being a wild card. But once you start taking away other key pieces, now that Betts is gone, it's really easy to see that win total falling you know, into the low to mid 80s range, and I don't think that's going to be enough to make it to the postseason. So uh, I'm I'm not I'm not excited about any of the starting options they have there. Is there anyone that stands out to you?
0: No, not really. Uh and you know, I sort of like Velasquez in that long relief role, and I think maybe he could, you know, take on sort of a Ryan Yarbrough kind of role, um, with, with maybe similar appeal, but I think that's maybe even stretching it a bit. So <laughs> the shorter answer is no, not really. Uh I, I think the bigger deal is maybe the collateral impact that this has on the Red Sox bullpen and you know, like the, to go back to the Rays. Uh, you know, the Rays have had a really deep bullpen. They still do, and so you know when they go with uh, an opener and you know stretch somebody out for for you know like a Yarborough for for long innings in relief, that that gives them some fantasy value. I'm not sure that there's really anybody in the Red Sox bullpen that not only has that value, but then you can see all these relievers getting stretched really thin down to the point that. I worry a little bit about Brandon Workman maybe getting overworked.
1: Oh yeah, I mean that's a, that's a classic Al pun right yeah. there. By the way, but it just wrote itself. It really did. the The skepticism I have about Brandon Workman anyway is is probably keeping me from having him in a lot of places. I think if you. Look at the way this team is built right now. Yeah, they are going to have to use their relievers maybe in the fifth and sixth inning frequently, if if not like almost every day. I think Eduardo Rodriguez has a, a lot of difficulty getting deep into games, and he's a huge part of what they're trying to do right now. So the long term effect of that is often reduced effectiveness. I don't even know as great as he was last year how safe Brandon Workman actually is. Like, If he has a really bad April, is he still the closer in May? I think that's a a question that's kind of weighing in the back of my mind as well. So yeah, this uh, pitching staff as a whole that I'm not that excited about. I think if I had to pick a reliever behind Workman, who I I like is having better skills, it's still Matt Barnes. He's Mm -hmm. still that interesting guy that I think in the closer role would return more value or is capable of returning more value than Workman can if, if they had equal opportunities to finish out games.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think Workman's beyond getting a handcuff and, and Barnes would be the guy for me. And just, you know, to disclose where I'm at with Brandon Workman, uh, one of my Slow drafts that I'm doing right now, uh, I'm needing uh, another reliever in the next round or two. And Workman's sitting in my queue, and I'm really having a lot of trepidation, kind of putting him to the front because I worry about that walk rate. And seems like he he, he may be operating on a, a bit of a, uh, a slim margin because of that. So uh, certainly having the uh, bullpen taxed uh, because of the the lack of rotation depth is something that just worries me even more. Now, I think we'd be remiss not to talk at least a little bit about this Christian Yelich news. Uh, As of uh, this recording, it's not finalized yet, but he is apparently on his way to signing a nine-year extension with the Brewers for $215 million. Uh, DVR, you have Yelich number one overall in your rankings. I've got them third. Our one two, threes are flip-flopped, so I've got Trout, Acuna, Yelich. You've got them the other way around. What gives Yelich the edge for you uh, above Trout and Acuna?
1: For me, it's the stolen bases uh, versus Trout. I think Acuna could actually end up with more steals than Yelich, but I think Yelich is capable of matching Mike Trout's batting average and run production And I think there's a very good chance that Yelich steals 15 or 20 more bases. So uh, that's why Yelich is number one on my board. I think if you go strictly by projections, you probably can't find a projection system, a good projection system anyway, that would tell you to pass on Mike Trout at number one overall. Because he's an inner circle Hall of Famer at this point whose track record of production is just so off the charts good that it's the the baseline baked into his numbers is unlike anything I've really ever seen uh, since starting to play fantasy baseball. I mean, maybe, maybe I just narrowly missed the beginning of Albert Pujols' career as a fantasy mm-hmm. baseball player. So that was probably the last time we saw anything quite like this when it comes to a hitter being so consistent, so dominant year over year. But ultimately for me, the difference between Trout and Yelich at this point, I just trust Yelich to be a lot more active on the base paths and, uh, if, if you feel confident in, in finding those extra bags as you move through the early and middle rounds of your draft, I totally understand why you would take Trout ahead of him, but I'm definitely a yellow at you at one guy.
0: Well, I will tell you that um, one of the factors, probably the biggest factor for me not having him number one or number two is him coming off a season where he dealt with a back injury and then had his kneecap shattered. And you raised a really good point off air, which is that this contract extension is, you know, we could read this as a very strong vote of confidence that the brewers aren't worried about this. So maybe I shouldn't be either. Uh, It's definitely something that uh, I need to think about. Uh, but let's, uh, move right into your labor results. Um, it, you didn't. We talked uh, about a week or so ago about going stars and scrubs in an only league. Uh, you didn't really do that here. You've got quite a number of mid-range guys around the, the ten dollar uh, value, uh, but you've got a, a, an outstanding core here with uh, with Acuna, Fernando, T- Fernando Tatis Jr. and Max Scherzer, uh, all thirty dollars plus. Acuna actually going for forty two dollars. Uh, how do you feel about your uh, your team overall? I feel great about it. Like
1: it's it's weird. Like I don't know if I'm just a narcissist when it comes to the <laughs> rosters I build or what exactly. I mean, I think it's the endowment effect. Technically, it's something that uh, Renee Miller, Doctor Renee Miller, has written about for the Athletic. Uh, we begin to think that the players in this case that we have on our team might be more valuable than they really are once we have them. But I look back at it and I had a plan to try and replicate what I did last year with stars and scrubs, and you know, almost to a role. I was able to do that. This team looks a l- very similar to the one I have a year ago. I think it's not as scrubby as Stars and Scrubs can be. I mean, mm-hmm. I think Stars and Scrubs allows you to probably buy one more expensive player than I did and then to rely more heavily on $1 players. But I only have one $1 player, and it's Hunter Pence. And I think he's going to play a little bit in that San Francisco outfield. So, you know, if he gives me $5 worth of value for a dollar, That's not bad from the cheapest player I bought. Um, I did make a point to try and fortify my playing time a little bit with kind of old, boring, steady Eddie types. Buster Posey at 8, Robbie Cano at 9, Brandon Belt at 9. No one's going to look at my team and get excited about those three guys in particular, but Acuna at the top at 42, Scherzer for 34, and Josh Hader at 21 in an NL-only league. The ratios, the Ks, the potential for the saves – Um, I I love that foundation. I think I just got a a good balance. Fernando Tatis Jr. at 31 is a guy that I haven't really targeted in snake drafts, but the price was right in the auction uh, over the weekend. So I've got power. I've got speed. I've got guys who can still get better. They come with a little bit of, of potential for pullback and Tatis in particular, but I think some of those older players help me offset a little bit of the risk that Tatis brings.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we really have to recalibrate, I think, our assessments and expectations when we do an only league draft, because like you said, somebody like a Brandon Belt or or a Buster Posey uh, in an ordinary mixed league context is, you know, somebody we sort of settle for. But when we talked about my NL only auction a week ago. I was sort of missing not having those branded belt types, and stressing out a little bit about the fact that I'm relying a little bit too much on on a Tim Castro and a Brian Hayes, and you know, so I would feel a lot better if I my roster uh, shaped up a little bit more like the one that you have in uh, in NL labor. Uh, I want to look at a, a couple other aspects of your auction. One is that you went uh, apparently pretty aggressively for saves, uh, spending twenty one dollars on Josh Hader and another seventeen on Kenley Jansen was this something that you came in with a plan for or just things that struck you as good values on the spur of the moment
1: you know it was purely price enforcing as it came to jansen hater was a guy i was targeting i was willing to go up to 24 at least on him so i was pretty happy when it stopped at, at 21 and i saw a presentation over the weekend at first pitch florida i was a part of one and i looked more closely at one of the charts right behind me as i was on the platform and uh, it was encouraging in that it, it showed Josh Hader having possibly a value in excess of $30 in an NL-only format. So I think depending on how you slice it, how you analyze it, there's actually a chance that he's one of the more undervalued players in a deep NL pool. So Kenley Jansen was really just a case where at 17, I felt like I was forcing someone to pay a market value by going plus one on that. And I was okay getting stuck with the second closer because I can win the category. I feel like winning the category is a perfectly viable option. Uh, it gives me a little bit of a hedge against the possibility of Hayter sharing his role. You know, once Corey Knable comes back, we've seen the Brewers mess around with how they use Hayter in the late innings before. So I felt like between the two, I got a ch- I have a chance at 12 points in the category. My floor in saves is very high. Uh, and I think my ratios with Hayter, especially, get that extra little bump. But like I felt like he was a good way to. Kind of fortify what I had done by paying up for Max Scherzer.
0: Yeah, well, that was you know my instant reaction and seeing you get the two of those is like, oh, DVR might win saves in this league, so that's a nice feeling to have. Now, you made a couple of buys that, if it were me, it would have made me really nervous. A couple players, I we'll probably just whiff on for the entire draft and auction season. And I'm talking about Garrett Hampson and AJ Pollock. You got them for 14 and $13 respectively. So really two of your, I mean, not, you know, most expensive players, but certainly up there in terms of the money that you spent and both players that are question marks in terms of regular playing time. Was that something that made you a little bit reluctant to go that extra dollar? Or are you just not worried?
1: Uh, I see them both as maybe being under projected in their respective roles. I think with Hampson playing half his games in Colorado just gives him a buffer where if he ends up at 300 plate appearances instead of the four or 450 that I really need from him at $14, he can still be close to that sort of price with Pollock. I think he's become a guy that I'm like the flag guy for AJ Pollock. Now, it's, it's occurred to me that I am now his biggest fan in a fantasy sense where I still think he's good. He's had a lot of bad luck with injuries, especially in recent years. I think the Dodgers gave him a pretty big contract last offseason because they want him to be a regular part of their plan. So it doesn't look great right now, of course, with Jock Peterson still around, but an injury could open things up pretty quickly. And I think the core skills there are being a little bit
0: overlooked. All right. Well, uh, I just will uh, make a quick comment. One other player, I was thrilled to see that you got Cole Tucker in the reserve rounds uh, because I'm uh, carrying his flag (laughs) this draft season. So I thought that was a a nice pickup. Uh, Just real quickly here, we, of course, won't leave you without sharing our featured read of the day. And this one is uh, another My Guys column. This one from Gene McCaffrey. And i could just feature Gene every time he writes something on the show, but his, my guys is Anthony Rizzo and 16 more players I probably like more than you. And I picked it in part uh, DVR because one of his guys is Freddie Peralta. Man, uh, Gene and I have a lot more in common
1: than uh, I, I may have previously thought, but uh, I think everyone <laughs> listening to this show probably knows how I feel about Freddie Peralta. I'm very optimistic. Uh, I love that he's added a slider kind of going back to the offseason and the Dominican Winter League uh, I think there's a role for him either as a late inning reliever or possibly as the fifth starter so uh, he's worth drafting in the end game if you're in a league with at least 15 teams at least a mixed league that is uh, he's absolutely in play as an end game consideration i think he could become a streamer in 12s from the jump if he does
0: win that fifth starter role all right. So, yeah, get him on your watch list if he's not there already. And with that little bit of advice, we're going to wrap things up here for this episode of Fancy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, well, you can get a 40% discount off a subscription at theathletic.com. Slash baseball in 15, and everything that we do is part of that subscription. So, also, if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that lets you leave a rating and a review, it would be wonderful if you did take the time to do that, and we would greatly appreciate it. So, for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melchior, and we will return here on Thursday.